actually on. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Behind the Blade podcast, episode two. And you guys don't know this, but we do. It's also take two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a little bit of a problem with my mixer. So, so sometimes when you have a very complicated mixer, it has these things called on buttons. <laughs> the O-N-O-F-F switch was set to the O-F-F position. It was pretty funny stuff, too. I'm sorry you guys missed it. It was, it was. We got done We got done with it, and we're like, wait a minute. God, God, God. So, but anyway, it was a good time. Let me, let me go ahead and lead this off. Get things started on a good note. According to WJBF News Channel 6 in Atlanta, a lawsuit is filed against Top Swords LLC of Dallas, Georgia. Um, which I which I kind of disagree with, but basically, thanks to Mike Lewis for dropping this in the Q and A on the Facebook page. But basically, what happened was kids were in a field doing what kids do <laughs> when 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 you're young and you're you're and when you're young and you're full of piss and vinegar and you want to swing your sword around like a ninja. What do you do? You get a ninja sword. You swing it around like a ninja. And what do you hate? You hate water bottles, and you want to see them decapitated. <laughs> All of them are <laughs> I remember being the exact same age doing the same thing. Yeah. It's 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 totally normal behavior for me. But what? But in this case, what they were using, one kid swung, it broke. The sword broke. The sword broke. Hurtled through the air. <laughs> and landed into a kid's head. 20 feet away it's which is a drag yeah. it was a bad that was a it, it probably broke the it probably broke the uh pro, bro, um it was a buzzkill yeah have a porky pig moment there for a second but Literally it was definitely a buzzkill yeah. yeah right <laughs> so um yeah it uh it was it was pretty pretty sad you know for the kid and the family and pretty crazy according to the news report the sword was rubber cemented into the handle. Not even epoxy. No screws or bolts. No sort of actual fastener. Yeah, I think the Japanese word for that is mekugi. 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 Yeah, so <laughs> the mekugi is a little pin that holds the mm-hmm. tang to the scot, you know, to the handle. And uh, yep. that was, it was sans. Yeah, they didn't yeah, have that. Nothing, it, nothing. They just had, they just had what rubber cement on like I am assuming a rubber handle. And all the flexing just breaks that loose. It's a cheap, cheap adhesive. You can't use it, and this is the result. And a bystander, uh, bystander, uh, got sent to the hospital. So the kid, I don't remember his age. He was a young. He was fifteen. Fifteen years he was 15, old. Fifteen. Yeah. yeah. Sent to the hospital. Uh, you know, our thoughts are with his family. He's having a tough time with the recovery. He is speaking, but not conversational just yet. Um, look, we all do stupid stuff. We all goof around with swords and knives. Or at least we all have at some point and live to tell the tale. You guys remember the viral video of the guy uh, who got his nose chopped right. off? Yeah, with his, yeah, yes, absolutely. He had the hot dog in his mouth and he yes. was holding it up and his, bro- and his and his buddy cut through it, cut the tip of his nose off. And uh, they were old enough to know better. They were just drunk <laughs> and way overestimating their talents and abilities. And there's thousands of videos like this where guys mm-hmm. just screw themselves up all the time. Yep. So, I mean, uh, safety first, you know, I was telling Jim in take one of episode two, uh, <laughs> I, I actually, you know, as a kid had a ninja star stuck in my face. Uh, it's, so, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> I mean, I've never had that. <laughs> and I have a little scar on my cheeks, a little hole. Um, but yeah, my buddy was throwing ninja stars at me and I had a wooden training sword, a boken, and, and he's throwing them, he's throwing one and I'm knocking it out of the air and he's like throwing two and I'm like bang bang you know knocking two of them out of the air and he throws three and it's like bang bang uh, and it hits me and it bounced <laughs> off my cheekbone oh, no. luckily it didn't blow out my eye yeah uh, it's really close uh, it, I mean it's probably 
five eighths of an inch away from my actual the whites of my eye. And uh, very lucky, very very lucky that you're not a current pirate. Yeah, pretty retarded. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And uh, these guys out here with with cheap swords swinging them around. You know, uh, I'm assuming that a lot of you guys. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you're bladed uh, weapon and tool enthusiasts. You probably have a few of them. You probably mm-hmm. encourage use and practice with your kids, um, and at least to the very least extent, collecting with your kids. You sure. know, uh, shit. Dio is getting very proficient mm-hmm. with a butterfly knife. She's got a couple live blade ones, and she has one trainer she uses all the time. That's awesome. But That's really cool. I inspected it. Right. I went over it. Right. I looked at it. It's a benchmark. It's made in the U.S. It's a it's a nice trainer. Um, I actually got it from Reed over at uh, North Star Trading Post, mm-hmm. and you know it was a reasonable price and everything. But I, I looked at it, and made sure that this is a worthwhile training implement, uh, and it's the onus is on the parents. It's always on the individual, but if it is underage kids, it's on the parents to make sure that they are a getting the proper training, um, b that the stuff that they're screwing with is of sound construction. Right, right. I mean, right. it's that simple. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's way it's way too often, way too often, and I can totally believe this, if if a, if a kid's got a trainer and he's flipping it around and it flies, it flies apart on him because it's cheaply made, it hits a sister in the head or something like that. Right. Totally no experience there practically on that for me. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, oh, sure, yeah, no experience yeah, no, whatsoever. Mm, Never seen that no. before. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, so guys, just just... Look, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, be glad in this case that it wasn't you for the majority of people who this didn't happen to this one circumstance. And inspect your inspect your weapons, your tools, you know, your bladed instruments, whatever you want to call them, um, and make sure that they're sound for training and get some proper training. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Thomas Shigiri like going out and doing the mat cutting. Uh, you know, we would take newspaper wrap it around bamboo, soak in the bathtub for a couple hours. Oh, boom, and then and you then, have you have the same thing. Yeah, that's then awesome. You, you yeah. have this simulation of bone. That's the way it was spun to us. And, you know, your teacher may disagree. I don't really care. Um, but, yeah, so we would we would do that. And, then, of course, we would do the grass mats and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there were times that we did it unsanctioned outside the dojo. We would do them at home. And that's 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 a whole other animal. It is not as safe as it was. Luckily, nobody got hurt, and we thought we knew what we were doing, and everything was fine. But yeah, inspect inspect the goddamn swords, man, before somebody gets hurt. And right. uh, and if you know this kid was a bystander, so like we said before, so if you are around these people while they're using kind of rubbish swords or whatever and trying to act the ninja, and you get that funny feeling, go with your gut. And unask the area. Yeah, yeah, Just GTFO. be like, yeah, exactly. I'd GTFO. be like, I'll be back. I'm gonna go do a beer run or something like right, that, right. And, and let the chaos ensue, and right. don't be part of it. Come back and then call the ambulance. Right. Yeah. And exactly. Then you come back. I mean, it's always always better. Just be smart about your surroundings. Have situational awareness, and and just always be safe. Always be safe. Number one thing you could possibly do. I mean, like you can replace a broken thing, can't replace you. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, however, I am of the opposite nature. I'll be completely honest with you. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like when I'm working, if I'm, as you guys know, uh, you know, Jim and I are both professional knife makers. What we do is our full-time vocation. Mm. Um, when it comes to working on a knife, now some of our knives, uh, some of our knives are, are fairly expensive, you know, probably the middle of the mid-range. So mm-hmm. some of our stuff gets eight, nine hundred bucks, thousand bucks. Uh, the rest are, you know, a couple hundred bucks. But it, regardless, um, I will sacrifice a piece of my body to save the knife nine times out of ten because usually at the state that I'm working on it at, 
if I have to grind a knuckle off or burn my finger or poke myself or drag a sharp corner of a guard as I'm filing a solder joint Ooh, or something like that, yeah. a lot of times I'll, mm. I'll catch myself with a guard and it'll tear me open. My hand's going to heal. I have never set a knife on the bench after scratching it or gouging it, come back in four days, and it got better. <laughs> And so, <laughs> that's a fair point. Yeah. So, yeah. No, still messed up. Exactly the same. Exactly. Way. I will yeah. get better. So it, that is the only time where you're like, well, I can't replace you. It's like, well, some of my cells can replace themselves. So. <laughs> they, they can actually yeah. grow back. You're so yeah, I will. Very cool. Yeah, so just so you guys know what we do for you, <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears. That's it. Sometimes all at the same time. <laughs> oh, usually yeah, they go as the trifecta. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not a full day unless it's all three. Yeah. So. Um, but, uh, it, there's, there's a little bit of an onus on the company for selling the blade because there's no, uh, warnings or notices, decorative purposes only, nothing like that, which is what kind of what they're claiming is that, is that it's meant to look at, you're not supposed to use it. Well, and that's, but, well, then make paintings of swords. Okay. If it's meant to look at and not to be used, right. then don't put a handle on it if you don't want people to hold it. I mean, it's that right. simple. Have it come pre-framed. And, yeah. and ship it in packing material like you would a two thousand dollar piece of art. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. If it's and to me, like, there's uh, sorry, that's bad radio. That was uh, church bells up the street, or me getting a text message. Definitely church bells. Definitely not text message. Uh, nope. Yeah. Mm-mm. Um, we're outside. Yeah. So <laughs> I, look, I get the art knife thing. Uh, I think any good art knife maker, uh, whether let's just use Buster Wierenski. Uh, because he was a obviously he made King Tut's knife. Oh he, sure, I mean, yeah. he was, If you guys don't know who Buster is, uh, you know he has passed away uh, for a number of years now. But that was a very very talented maker out of Utah, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, check his stuff out. Art knives, and he did some practical knives too. He did a lot of. I would say the majority of his work was practical knives. But in his later years, uh, he did a lot of really amazing mm-hmm. art knives, just like so many other makers out there. But the bottom line is, these really. I mean, these are. Oh yeah. You know, ten thousand dollar knives, fifty thousand dollar knives, and up. You know, these are knives that are made to look at. Yeah. However. You can take any one of those knives and use it as a knife. You're just yes. a dipshit because you're ruining a $50,000 <laughs> knife, but you can use it totally as a true. real knife practically and it'll hold up. And yeah, these are these are gorgeous gorgeous knives. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. I double d- doubling down on what Matt said. If you guys get a chance to Google Buster Warinsky, I mean, he's got some beautiful stuff. I mean, and Off it's just chain. and it's just to the practical side of fantasy knives. Yes. But you can totally tell that you could use it if you wanted to. I mean, usually, usually when you look at some of those, some some of the some of the cheap fantasy knives, you can tell right off the bat that they're cheap pieces of crap. Right, you don't even know but, where your hand goes. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. <laughs> Too many spikes everywhere. Yeah. But you look at these and you're like, if I wanted to add another ten thousand dollars onto a knife, this is exactly what I would do. Wow, pretty remarkable. <laughs> and, wow, and those yeah. are knives meant to look at. Those are display knives. They are art knives. But still knives. Still functioning still knives. Still knives. Yeah, so not, just, that, not just a KSO or a knife-shaped object. Exactly. Like yeah. what we call, right? That, that dog don't hunt. And so oh, if you're right. going to say, hey, I sold you a sword that looks just like a sword, but it acts more like a javelin, <laughs> wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> wrong answer. <laughs> it's like a single shard grenade. Exactly. It's just a display grenade. So, right. <laughs> so okay. Well, Let's let's put that guy to bed. Let's put that guy to bed. Wish it, uh, we have our um, we have the best wishes for for the family and a speedy recovery. And we really really hope that that he pulls totally through. As Matt was saying earlier, the brain does wondrous things, and uh, we're we're really hopeful that he'll pull through and be the best that he can be. Absolutely. And thanks to Mike Lewis for the submission of the headline news for the use in this segment. Uh, we have a little bit more news to come, but uh, this is a great opportunity to invite you guys to follow us on Facebook. 
to check out the webpage and to hit us up because, uh, again, I, I hate to reference this and sound like I'm double talking, but in uh, take one of episode two, we had mentioned <laughs> this, is that Jim and I, this is our, our full-time gig. We live, breathe, eat, sleep knives. We talk all about the them all day. All day, all the time. Yeah. Matt will come into my office and be like, hey, did you see how that you see that new knife by X? Or Jimmy, wait, Jimmy, I have this new idea. What do you think of this? Yeah. It's all knife talk. Jimmy's showing me slip joints, and, and we yeah. go back and forth. And so whether it's new, whether it's old, this is our whole life. The only thing that makes the podcast different or an extension of our everyday life is our engagement with you guys. And that's really it. We figured that this would be a great opportunity for a bunch of knife freaks to get together and chat and share ideas. And that's where you come in and your participation is absolutely paramount. So we love to see you guys throw us a bone. Give us something to talk about. We have it as a pin post on our Facebook page behind the Blade podcast mm-hmm. where it shows a big box with a big question mark on it. <laughs> Any question you have, I'm not going to guarantee that we're going to read it on the air. But any question you have, we'd like to see that submitted in there. Give us some food for thought. Give us something to talk to you guys about. And like I said, we talk about this all the time. The only difference between the podcast and our regular life is you guys. And I want you, I I cannot beat that down enough because we appreciate you and we want you guys to keep listening. 100%, Matt. I'm right there there with you. And so we formally invite you guys to join the discussions that Matt and I have every day. So come in, join us, crack a beer, sit down, and... We hope that you. Uh, we hope that you can really get engaged. That's it. Yeah, we hope you guys enjoy. It. And we will be doing these weekly. I know there was some questions in there uh, right, there as was, to yeah. how often we're going to be doing these releases. Uh, consistency is key. We want you guys to stay apprised of what's going on in the industry and in the knife world. So we will be doing these once a week, as if we had the time to write an episode on top of our already challenging lives. <laughs> but we make the time for you guys. <laughs> All right. What else is <clears> on <throat> the news? So. Congratulations, Colorado. Congratulations, Colorado. Way to be. That's that's the way to be. Freedom, America, with an apostrophe at the beginning. Colorado lifted its switchblade ban. Its switchblade ban that has been in effect since 1960 friggin' three. <laughs> Get that's a with long it. time. It is. It's a long time, and absolutely a little bit of common sense was added in, and this is fantastic news. Um, how many states were? Uh, how many states have lifted bans? At this point. I think we're at 37 where it is legal to own a switchblade. It gets a little bit. There are some caveats to that. Some of those states it's legal to own but not legal to sell. Right. Um, but in 37 states, United States, uh, it is legal to possess a switchblade. Excellent. Great, great job. That's fantastic. So, so um, which, which leads us into a little bit of um, why is this an important thing? Why do we care so much about a switchblade band lift? Well, it's because Matt and I both hate the hype behind the banning of switchblade knives. Yes, yeah, it's total bullshit. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's baseless. It's, it's a distraction. I mean, uh, there's so much, there's so many other things and so much. The, pa- the paper that it's written on could have gone to other laws that make more sense. So. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's so hyped up. Now, I'm sure you get this at your company, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get asked, is it legal to mail knives? Right. This is a question I get regularly. Is it? Can you just send that through the mail? Like it's a... (laughs) <laughs> like it's a satchel charge and i'm like yeah I, it's not a molotov cocktail i can mail you a knife i mean it's the most useful tool the world over you know what i mean yeah. so it's easy uh-huh. to drop in the mail but it's it basically what it comes down it comes down to ignorance plain and simple switchblades are no more nefarious 
than a sharpened toothbrush. In they're, fact, in fact, they're less nefarious than a sharpened toothbrush because it has the chance to break. Yeah, Whereas a sharpened toothbrush, you'll just die. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. No. A- absolutely. I mean, the last knife I would carry into a knife fight, if I had my choice, if I had my druthers. Uh, would be a switchblade. That's the last thing that I would consider yeah. as a combat tool. I think, if anything, it's a gadget. It's, it's a gadget. It's almost like a widget. Yeah. You know, like, like, like the spinner widget EDC things. It's almost like that with the ability to also open boxes and mail. Okay, and, so and- I'm not going to weigh in on the spinner thing right now because you guys don't know me well enough. But uh, someday crack a beer with me. If, we, if you run into me at Blade Show this year, be like, Matt, what's your opinion on spinners? And I will fill... Your head. <laughs> so okay. So let's just box that and put yeah. that on a shelf put a right pin now. In that. We're, yeah. gonna, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave it up to you guys to approach Matt at Blade about that. Yeah. And if I'm standing right there, I will just politely walk off and go get a hot dog. Yeah. So. <laughs> at least laugh in the background. But yeah, it's all sensationalism. Mm-hmm. It's just ignorance. But the fact of the matter is, we all love switchblades, and there's a lot of names for them: autos, you know, OTF autos, side right. folding autos, flick knives. Uh, switchblades. I mean, there's a, actually a lot of names other than the ones I just listed off. I just can't remember them. But yeah, those it, are the most common ones. Though, yeah. For sure. So let's call them switchblades <laughs> for the sake of the show because I like the word switchblades. So, <laughs> <laughs> you instantly go back to that CD bar. Everything's kind of dark. There's neon signs. A little cool. bit of fog. I got my switchblade. Oh, so you saw Click. where I grew up. That's cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, where I grew up was midnight yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a backwoods Hell's Angel bar <laughs> every day. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, congratulations, Colorado, on getting your head out of your ass and lifting this finally. And honestly, I can't even say that. Congratulations on Colorado on thinking that this was important enough to push it to the forefront and then make it a reality. Because it, just like in Arizona, which is where I was born, it's illegal to fish off the back of a camel. I don't know if you knew that. Off the back of a what? A camel. Camel. Yeah. Do they have camels in Arizona? Well, actually, that's a whole other funny story. <laughs> uh, they're like, well, Arizona's a desert. You know, the Middle East is a desert. They have camels. Uh, they didn't realize that Arizona has cactus and rocks also. So they okay. imported a bunch of camels for okay. a very short period of time. All the camels came up lame because the ground was too hard and too fucked up for them. Sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and so either way, at some point in that time frame, it became illegal to fish off the back of a camel. You would think with all the limping, the jigging on the on the lure would be great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, 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 that, yeah, so this is an archaic law. <laughs> I, I honestly think the switchblade ban is also an archaic law. And congratulations to Colorado for yeah. getting rid of it. Congratulations, guys. Yeah, That's fantastic. Good job. So, moving on on that guy. Um, so, why 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 are switchblades important to us? Um, because. There's a little bit of a there's a federal law on top of it, and it's all based around hype. Oh, the, hype and media. Hype, hype and media, and you see it a lot even now. I mean, I mean, just the way the media, the way. I mean, I don't want to go all tinfoil hatty, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, <laughs> I'm gonna try to avoid a lot of that. But, but I would say that uh, there's a lot of hype, and it's not really to distract us, or maybe some people would some people would argue that it's there to distract us. But the obvious answer is that people, you know, the media needs ratings. You know, they, they Media need, needs ratings and politicians need, need votes. <clears throat> so so they work hand in hand, I'd say both sides of the aisle on multiple different issues to bring their agenda forward. And in this case, in this case, in the uh, in the year 1958, man, the agenda was get rid of switchblades. Switchblades <laughs> were the keystone to and then I'm, I'm being sarcastic in my speech here, <laughs> but uh, switchblades were the keystone in street gang violence. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but if it wasn't for switchblades, nobody would die. 
So that was yeah. Apparently, the, apparently knife violence didn't exist until about the mid 1700s. Right. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. When when switchblades were invented. Yeah. That's, so, that's when knife violence started. Yeah. Switchblades were invented in the mid 1700s. If you, I mean that blew my mind when I found that fact too. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, the first peasant knives were found dated to be back to the 1400s. Right. Is that the folding that, that, uh, friction that's folder? That's just a friction folder. Yeah. A friction Man, folder. Right. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. Think about that. Uh. So. What's going on, no, Jim? Going. Are we all right? Are we oh, surviving? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're good. Uh, just making, to... making sure we didn't have to do a take three. Yeah, what? Uh, <laughs> just checking the time code, man. Gotcha. All yours. Yeah. Um, yeah, so from the mid-18th century, so the mid-1700s, that's when Switchblades first kind of came onto the scene. Uh, you know, by 1840, they were already being made in Sheffield, and you can find them with proof marks. Uh, showing that they were made in England as a at, business for manufacturing, right? Exactly, as a production model. That right? old, yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. And then, as uh, we've all grown and love them as American knife freaks, eighteen ninety two, George Schrade patented, and I cannot remember the name of his patent to save my life. And I hit my phone because I got a text <laughs> message, uh, but he patented the automatic in the United States. So you guys would recognize that knife as the, I believe it's M2, the paratroopers knife. It had an automatic blade on one side, usually like a blaze orange cellulose, celluloid handle. And, yeah, uh, with, with, with the hook and the bail. Yep, had and, the shroud yeah. cutter and the right. bail. Uh, so that was George Schrade's patent in 1892. Uh, Schrade Walden, shortly thereafter, uh, when he joined up with the Walden Company, um, they came out with a really attractive sterling silver. That was the one I was telling you about Ooh. early. I mean, it is engraved or cast, but it looks engraved sterling silver, uh, scales. And it was an auto on both ends. So Interesting. On, on either side either of one, the knife had buttons. You, that, that was both the knife and the, the hook. No, it was, no? there were two knives. It was, oh. uh, it was a pen knife and like a spear point. Oh, cool. And okay. It was, God, this is just a beautiful, just a stunning knife. When you look at this and the intricacy of the work, it's a Schrade Walden, uh, it is from the 1900s, but early 1900s, and I cannot remember the model. It might be like the 1916 or something, if my memory is right. I'm um, doing a quick... It, uh, uh, 48? Does that sound right? Uh, no. Uh, I think it was earlier than that. Uh, maybe, though. Anyway, you guys yeah. will be able to find it. It's a Schrade Walden, double-sided auto. Just, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll try to find a picture of one sure. and put it up, because it just blows my mind. It's such a beautiful knife. Uh, and I'm not really into small, delicate things. It's almost like a fob knife, which you would find on the end of a pocket watch. <laughs> they came in two sizes, and one of them was really tiny like that. But just a stunner of a knife. Again, not what you picture when you think of contraband jets no, and sharks type definitely shit. You know, what, you know what? You know, here's a line drawing of it. Um, yes. That's it. That's, that's it. it. Gotcha. Absolutely. F. 744 stainless steel SHA. And there was a Sterling version that was embossed Sterling. Right. Also. This oh, th this one, this one I think is the Sterling version. Oh, is that Sterling? Yeah. Okay. Oh, you saw Sterling it. version? Yep. Yep. That's the one. That's, that's the one. one. Yeah. Cool. And there's that's, a button on the awesome. other side. The other side looks identical. Nice. Yeah, it's really cool. I kind of want to make one of those right now. Oh, God. Just as, yeah. it's like, we'll why make one when we can make one with two? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? <laughs> oh, like a moose. Um, we'll be sure to post a picture of that up so that you guys can see it. Um, it's just, God, it's just a sweet knife. Just. I can't say enough about it. I get all Twitter Too painted cool. when I talk about it. Um, nice. Yep, I got it. And then bringing us back, so we have George Schrade who came out with the Paratrooper Auto, obviously this lovely Sterling knife. And as it moves forward in 1954 yep. is when James Delaney of New York, he was the one that implemented the switchblade ban in New York as a reaction to 
the West Side Story. I mean, it's literally yeah. from West Side Story. That's yeah, what this what, is all about. Yeah, what, uh, it was it was a little bit before that. West Side Story, I think, was the culmination. I like, think, yeah, right. You, so you, I think that came out fifty seven. Yeah, uh, that was fifty seven. Okay. Um, so there was a, there was actually a number of movies. So it was a Rebel Without a Cause, Crime in the Streets, Twelve Angry Men, the original one, uh, The Delinquents, High School Confidential, and then there were, apparently there's a a ton of them, just a ton of them where. The bad guy was defined as the dude with the switchblade. Right, right, exactly. Every time. Yeah. And then all of that, all of that coupled with the article that came out, uh, Toys That Kill, yes. in in the, in the woman's magazine, that was, um, uh, it was a 1950 article. So it was e- even before that, 1950. Women's Home Companion. <laughs> oh my God. There and you, go. you yeah. could never release that magazine now. Never. No, yeah. And you have, <laughs> you know, these uh, kind of knitting circles going around being no practical experience whatsoever. Yet they they see this media and they're like this, this knife is the devil, right? And and, and they <laughs> they really pushed it and it, it took them uh, six years, I guess, from the writing of mm-hmm. the 1950 article, uh, seven years technically with the with the big release of West, West Side, Side Story. Story, and then in 1958 the feds came in and said toys that kill are no longer that's it switchblades right. are banned kaput on a federal level. Yeah, I mean they were treated the same way as narcotics. And, just and, think about that. And just listen listen to uh, Frederick G. Payne of Maine, who was a senator of Maine at the time, who was a proponent of the bill. Isn't it true that this type of knife, switchblade knife, in its several different forms, was developed actually abroad and was developed by the so-called scum? if you want to call it, or the group who are always involved in crime. So foreign thugs, that's who invented <laughs> the switchblade. Is that, how preposterous is that? It's, so, it, yeah, you could never get away with saying something like that nowadays. Or, no, well, maybe you could, and just with different verbiage. Yeah, the but, scum abroad. <clears throat> right. and, and like you said, maybe you could say it again with different verbiage. Uh, I mean, this is the, the cold hard truth, is that they thought banning switchblades would end gang violence. Right. So they used switchblades. People saw this opportunity. Politicians specifically saw this opportunity, and they used it as a political platform so that they could get votes saying that they wanted to end violence, and the way that they were going to go about doing that was banning this simple mechanical trinket. Right. It's, it's say something with the most simplicity right. that you can to gather to gather up people who don't have a lot in their minds. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, Euphemistically speaking, but right, yeah, that's it. Right. I, I call it I call it low hanging fruit politics. Yes. It's it's dangle something low that's easy to digest, that's easy to grab onto. You can hear it once and remember it days later. Do you want to save lives or not? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. right yeah. Instantly relegated to that and you have a ton of followers, people that are just unthinking and that just that just follow along with 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 the with the the line, the toe. It is, yeah, and and really, this uh, is analogous to the assault weapons, uh, you know, sensationalism that's going on today. And totally I'm not going to get it, I'm not going to get balls deep into politics right now. Let's just be completely frank about this. Mm-hmm. However, it's just interesting that in the late 1950s, if you were to take the political stance that these guys were using and replace the word switchblade with assault weapon, it would be verbatim what is going on Bam. right now. So, Same thing. In, ex, in, interchangeable. Hold on. I have I have another um, from Congressman Sidney R. Yates. Check this out. Vicious fantasies of omnipotence, idolatry, barbaric and sadistic atrocities, and monstrous violations of accepted values spring from the cult of the weapon. Is he talking about Jody Sampson? No. no. <laughs> I kind of wish he was. Oh my god. No. No, he's talking about just the switchblade. 
He's like, and the switchblade knife is included in this. It's like saying, it's like saying, there's Satanists, there's Nazis, and then people who like switchblades, who are the worst. Yeah, <laughs> they all ride the same boat yeah. across the river. That's crazy. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's. I mean, I guess back then, I mean, we bitch about sensationalism now, but I guess that. <laughs> Is genuine sensationalism? <laughs> oh man, yeah. satanic well, I mean, idolatry. Well, well, you really have to. You really have to be subtle about your uh, your sensationalism nowadays. Because if you were to come out and be this strong about it right away, it would actually go viral as a joke. Oh yeah, because absolutely. people are so connected nowadays that uh, that that you know people people would make up their mind a lot a lot more negatively about it than, than uh, I'd say the... You would turn your audience on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You said crazy. what? No, but but here, when people read it, I mean, you only have a handful of people reading it and then telling other people orally. Right. So so it gets it gets it gets uh, not toned down, but what am I looking for? It diluted, gets it diluted, and yeah. interpreted to to mean all sorts of different yeah. things, and and just and just just blasted out into into more of a feeling than it is actually what people are saying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a what emotional brandishing, right? Right? Yeah. There you go. Right. Virtue virtue signaling is is another great term that I hear. But but yeah, it's it's uh, the whole thing, the whole 1950, 1958, I almost said nineteen fifty seven, nineteen fifty eight switchblade ban is all just based on hype and it's still in effect today because no one's gone back and challenged it and it's hard it's i mean it's a tough case up until now you know what i mean it would be a tough case for the italian stilettos type to be like no i really have to have this in my day-to-day life but <laughs> the truth of the matter is the market has come so far with microtex um you know i've i've got microtex you've got a Mikov, yep, i've got Mikovs. dalton's i've got hubertus I've got some Italian stiletto styles. Yep, I mean, I, I really enjoy them. But <clears throat> truth be told, like a, a good, solid side opening pro tech or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to love it. It's just a good knife. And you're yeah. going to be, hey, this, uh, I mean, let's take a look at it. Let's be completely honest. So anything with an Emerson wave on it. Sure. That's yep. going to be the fastest appliance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's you, you nothing pull, faster. You pull it out of your pocket, and then you might as well have had a, a fixed blade in your pocket. Yep, exactly. It's that fast. And Boom. you can always spot Emerson guys because their pockets look like shit. And so, <laughs> yeah, trust me, I, I'm an Emerson fan myself. I've carried them for years. I've carried them in the field. I, I love the knives. Uh, but that is the fastest deploying knife that you're ever going to find. Uh, the Spyderco Matriarch. Yeah. I mean, yes. that, that's With my the, back mm-hmm. pocket carry every day. Boom. Except for today. I don't have, I feel like an Actually, asshole. yeah, I'm, but, carry, uh, I'm carrying my PM2 today. Oh, there you go. Nice. My PM2. Oh, I love these. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These are great. Uh, PM2, <laughs> so, I'm, let's see, look, I am in no way affiliated with Spyderco whatsoever. Uh, the PM2, perfect knife. This is it, guys. This is, this is the perfect knife. This is dollar for dollar the perfect <laughs> knife. Anything you want beyond this is because you like it, and I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, it's not the most attractive knife, the PM2. Yeah, it's, it? got, it's got weird lumps in weird places. It is, but it feels good but, in your hand. It doesn't break the bank, and it works like a champ. And so I just, I like these knives a lot. But back on topic, Emerson <laughs> Wave. I guess you could put the little zip-tie doodad oh, if you want. Oh, I've done that. I had, I had a Spyderco Endura. Yeah, it works like a charm. I can't. I feel like Mini Pearl. I can't walk <laughs> around with a tag hanging off of my knife. And so, yeah. You, you, you only notice it the first couple of times until you pull it out enough, and then you're like, okay, now it's kind of yeah. cool. But then someone else comes up to you and goes, is that a zip-tie around your knife? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's kind of goofy. I, I can dig the practicality of it, though. I really can. But it does work. So, but yeah, I mean, so you have the wave, you have, um, you have any one-handed opener. Let's look at the PM2, for example. Oh, yeah, it's PM2. not even waved. I mean, nope. this is a one-handed Boop. opening knife. It's super fast. Push your thumb in the spidey hole and just open it. Right. Any mm-hmm. frame lock, compression lock, liner lock, any one-handed opening knife is going to be a little bit more stable than an automatic knife. I mean, it's just mechanics. It's the way that they Correct. lock up. It's not relying on 
uh, a button or one little lever, you know, a little leaflet that pops out. Nope, just kinetic energy and then a solid lockup once it's there. That's it. Yeah. However, switchblades are cool. I mean, they're just <laughs> yeah. and they are fast to open and they are uh, feats of engineering in some cases. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or some of them are historic and they totally. have this nostalgia to them. So it, it's yeah, especially the out the front stuff with the lever up to have uh, to have the blade shoot out and then you pull the lever back and the blade it shoots back in. Right. That's cool as shit. Double action yeah. OTFs. Yeah, right. that's as we know them. But yeah, super cool. And so I think they're cool. Um, I don't think they're a weapon of mayhem. And I'm glad to see Colorado uh, agrees. So congratulations, Colorado, and the other 36 states that you Absolutely. are now in legion with. Absolutely. So okay. Well, I think I think we're gonna take a quick break. Sounds and good. then uh, and then we'll be right back for um for and I got something for you guys. How would you like to learn how to sharpen and strop? There we go. All right. All right, everybody. See you in a bit. And we're back. All right, everybody. So, <clears throat> Matt did an awful lot of talking in the first segment. I'm going to go ahead and relieve his vocal cords as I talk about um, um, something in our tech tips, tips, tech tips segment. Because I can talk today. <laughs> so, we have, um, so, we have a lot of questions about how to properly maintain um, an, the edge of your knife. Now, what I, the first thing that you always do when when talking about maintenance of a of a knife is you always inspect the edge for damage so it's like what kind of damage do you have matt and i know that you've done this before too that's the first thing you do you take one look at it you 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 feel you feel for a burr you you feel for a chip or something something displaced yeah absolutely i mean the probably one of the quickest tips that we can give over the air right now is to look straight down on the blade and see if you can see any shine on the edge. I can tell you on my Sabenza right now, I've got like four spots. Actually, I'm looking at mine right now. My, my, my PM2, I've got one, two spots. And the, well, a huge one on the tip just for like using because the tip's thin, I like right. using it. Um, so the first thing that you do is if, is if you don't see any of that, you can immediately take it directly on, directly on a strop. I'm sorry, that's the wrong term. If it's a fixed blade knife or a type of folding knife that's not a razor, the correct term is a hone, which is basically the same thing. So it's a block of wood and some leather, epoxied and then squared up. So that's that's really all it is. It can be the smooth side, it can be the rough side. Doesn't totally matter. Rough side would be better than smooth side if you're looking to get a little bit more of an aggressive action. Really? Yeah. Oh, I yeah, didn't know I, no, you didn't know I, that? I, I, no, I didn't. No, well, I mean, well, if you think about it, the, the rough side has all the fibers that are sticking up. Right. And so they curl around the edge as you as you pull back. Gotcha. So the smooth side, you can get you can get a different result and but it's just smoother. Think of it as like a like an eight hundred grit versus a thousand. Okay. Yeah. And so, I, I use the back side of my belt, like, you know, in the bush or something like that. Sure. And, and that's just an old trick. Everybody does it. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. And so yeah. if I want to bring it back to sharp, then I will use the back side, which is typically the rough side of the leather. Absolutely. So I didn't know there was any benefit to it. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and if you if you get into razors or even if you get into knives, you can have two strops, one rough up, one one smooth up, and then you just apply compound as as you see fit. You can even apply the same compound to the different mediums, and you'll get a different result. So what? Uh, comp, you're saying compound, and some you're, of you guys oh, yeah, yeah. may not be totally spun up on that. So when you say compound, what do you mean? When I say compound, I mean some sort of some sort of app, you know, applicable. Either, either, either a bar of black compound or or, or some sort, some type of polish or abrasive compound that you apply to to your medium, whatever you're stropping on. So, um, um, I'm gonna plug myself a little bit shamelessly. The Bark River black compound is probably the easiest to strop on. 
because it's it's very aggressive. I mean, and it's just there's nothing like particularly special about it. It's a normal black bar compound that's very similar that's to a, a lot of other based. ones. It's a grease based. It's a grease based. Yeah, it's a grease based compound. The grit comes out to be about two thousand, but on the leather, it's just absolutely beautiful. So what you do is you just go through the mechanics of stropping. So you have your hone with your leather on top. You take your blade, lay it flat on that hone toward the end of it. Totally flat. So I'm going to pantomime in front of this. You lay it just absolutely flat, blade down. Push in like you're going to cut it, and then start lifting the spine. Now, now I'm, I'm going to go ahead and repeat that. Take your blade, put it directly flat onto the hone, push forward and lift the spine. The second the edge catches, that's your angle. And this method works no matter what your geometry is. No matter what your geometry is. It can be convex, it can be hollow, it can be a flat to a bevel, it can be a pure flat, it doesn't matter. Because you want to catch just the very edge. The second you get that, pull backwards. Because that's your angle. And as you get practiced on that one knife at that one time, you can kind of speed yourself up because you you tend to remember what that angle You'll is. You'll get that muscle memory. Right. 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 It's not like a permanent thing and it'll be different from knife to knife and stuff, but <laughs> but that's it's a good it's a good like kind of like a test factor to just try to find out where you are. Now what you're doing when you're doing that is by catching just the very edge, is like you're literally like one to maybe ten thousands up from the edge up the blade. And that's all that's where you are. That's that's the only place that, that you are. That's all that you want to be. If you're on a convex edge, you're already going to be right there. A flat grind, you're probably going to be totally flat. A bevel's totally the same thing. But you want to just strop backwards lightly. Don't use any pressure and just come right back. And the more aggressive your compound and the hone is, the more the more it's going to actually, um, the more work it's going to do on your very edge. Now, what about pressure and direction of stroke? So so there there are two directions of stroke. You always want to strop backwards. Right, you want to strop away from your edge, dragging um, the edge, dragging the spine of the knife either towards you or away, or away, you, or, yeah, yeah. or away from you. You know, gotcha. all, always, always following the edge backwards. And the reason why you do that is because when you when you when you grind on a stone, the stone's usually turning toward you, and you push the edge into the stone. You you really only go backwards on a stone if you want to reset, if you want to change where your burr is from one side to the other for whatever reason. And there's a number of reasons for doing that. You know, just to even it up or whatever. Well, I mean, we, we <clears throat> sharpen both ways on the grinder. So when sure. we're on a belt, we don't run a stone. Uh, but when we're on a belt, honestly, depending on my mood, <laughs> I wish it was something more scientific <laughs> than that. I will either go and I run really slow. So it's not a matter of uh, thermal wicking to the edge to fry the edge or something like right. that. But so I run at about 25% power on the KMG. Yep, it's really important to go slow. Right. Bucket and, of water. And yep. it's on the slack. So the one thing that when it's on the slack, there's nothing behind it to build up heat. Right. So you don't get the same heat. That's why you guys can rock and roll on convex edges. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's absolutely. nothing behind there. To, there's nothing to behind that at all. But yeah, sometimes I'll go uh, on the top slack in the slack bell attachment. I'll actually grind with the edge. Really? You guys, this is a visual gag. You're not going to get any of this. I, I'm trying to explain it the best I can. Yeah, he's, he's holding but, it out in front of him with his edge toward him. So I'll yep. be looking at the edge, and mm -hmm. I'll watch the wire pop up on like a 120 or 240. Really? And I watch it pop up, and then I, I straighten it this way. Mm. I only do that if there's a healthy enough choil. Sure. Otherwise, I can't see where it's stopping. So if it stopped right at the plunge line, right. yeah, then it, I, I start jumping going. up, and it'll start wrecking the knife. And in right. which case, I will go to the slack in front of my chest, edge up, and then I have to feel for the wire right. between strokes. Right, straight up and down. Yep. So um, <clears throat> how I typically how I typically bevel a knife is I'll actually do similar to Matt, but instead of the edge facing toward me, it'll be facing away from me. And what I'm doing is I'm watching the, and, uh, and I'm cutting into the, or the belt's cutting directly into the edge. And what I'm doing is I'm watching for a burr that forms 
um, down down both bevels. And I'll actually do like three or four passes each side. I won't do like one bevel, it's perfect. Go to the other side, it's perfect. I'll actually kind of like wear it down because I don't want to press too hard right. and, and lose a lot of the control. So I'm at like 25, 30%, just like Matt is. And if it's a really beefy knife, maybe I'll go 50. Right. Or or my guys are crazy. Sometimes they'll be like 75, 80%. But they're not burning anything and their edges are still strong. So if it so works, I'm, yeah. If it works, it works. But... I typically go 25, 30% and I just, I just, I just bring it right across the belt and I just watch for the thin little white little fuzzies yeah. that pop right You'll up. You'll see that burr curl Absolutely. Over. Um, you're not going to see that on a stonework though. So, um, and, and it's just, it's just because you don't have the power behind it. So you really do have to go in there and you have to feel for a burr. But, um, getting back to the, getting back to the honing thing, if you just, if you if you if you lay it flat, you push forward as you lift your spine, so you just catch it, and then you pull backwards. You can go heel to tip or tip to heel. I get a better result personally going tip to heel. So I'll start on the tip, feel for that, and then I'll push to the heel. That's what Johnny does, and he taught right. me that under the philosophy. And and this might be uh, we call it colloquially unicorn piss. This may be voodoo. <laughs> uh, that it gets the micro striations the teeth of your edge are in a direction that for draw cutting, it's more aggressive. That was the sure. reason behind that. Oh, I, I, I just get a better result. And I, mean, I actually so I maybe, get a better result yeah. doing it the other way. Oh, are you starting so, at the heel? So I, the I actually do strop tip to heel, right? Mm -hmm. But if I go heel to tip, and it might be my old muscle memory that just helps me get a better angle mm -hmm. on it, uh, but I get a better result the other way. So yeah. I, I, So if you guys are trying it, one way and not getting the result you like, feel free to try it the other way because a sharp knife is a sharp knife is a sharp knife, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's up to the individual. So. <clears throat> yeah, no, totally true. So um, going backwards a little bit, you know, from hones, if you have a damaged edge, you really have to do to go to a stone at that point because obviously leather's not going to cut into 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 your stone. It's not going to grind the metal right. away. Yeah. If you don't want to buy a stone, a cheap a cheap solution that works great, I've done this, is a mouse pad and sandpaper. Have you ever done that? I've heard of it. I've never yeah. done it. So, so what it does is the mouse pad gives just enough to cause the sandpaper to curl up above the edge. Gotcha. And you just strop like you like you normally. Does that would. hold true to uh, secondary beveled knives, or is that a primarily convex knife? Thing? Well, no, you are convexing at that point. Okay. Yeah, no, you are because just because just because of the cushion that the mouse pad has, you're getting that. You're, you're getting right. a curve. Yeah. So, so you you will be convexing even if you're following the same bevel. You'll convert it to a convex. Okay. You know, just by doing it. And some people prefer that. Some people like it. Some people get really good results. Um, you get you can get a nice, decent feeling burr. You got about a thousand or fifteen hundred grit sandpaper. You can still feel the burr. So that's at that where, point. is that where you jump in at? Is about thousand grit. Um, as a course. Um, as 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 a course, yes. Unless something's extremely damaged, and then I go right to like a three twenty stone, or or depending on how bad it is and the type of reprofiling and the type of patience that you guys have, you might even want to start on an eighty. You know, oh, oh yeah, like no shit. Oh. Well, well, I mean, if you don't have a power grinder and if you don't have a, a die grinder or something that can help you really, yeah, really reprofile something, it may be necessary because the the idea is to get it close to shape, bring it up, bring it up a few grits, and then finish your shaping, right? And then start your edge work on something that's a little bit finer. But that's only if something something like extremely damaged, like you have like a half inch tip missing. Right. You know, that's that's where you would oh, pull gotcha. something like that. Yeah, yeah, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're you're basically fixing the knife. Oh, basically, not, yeah. Not maintaining the edge. <clears throat> no, no, no. That that's that's an extreme case. But if you're just like but if you just have maybe like a tiny, tiny, teeny little chip, which is which is a majority of people, we've all had that too, where we'll go through and we'll use a knife and we'll feel that we were idiots in this spot of the knife right here too. And Jim's dragging yeah. his fingernail across the edge. Uh for those of you guys that don't know the trick, you know, I'll I'll peel the skin back from my thumb. 
until my thumbnail is exposed mm -hmm. and then drag it across there and you will immediately notice when you have hit a nick or a dull spot or something like that. You can feel the vibration through your hand. That's it. I mean, absolutely. Another trick, if you don't want to use your nails, you can use a pen. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can use a pen. Um, I actually got a pen right here. You can actually do the same thing. You'll feel the vibration travel up into your hand into your finger. There you go. So you can well, actually, I, did, I did not know that. Yeah, you can actually feel it on this one if you feel it right toward the tip there. So that's where that flat spot is. But if you've got a if you've got a stone or something or, or the mouse pad and sandpaper, it works great. You just strop according to the same means if it's a mouse pad and sandpaper. If you have a stone, though, you go forward. You don't go backward. Right. You cut in like you're trying to take a sliver off the stone. And you just go back. And then if you, it, and then you, you just go, you just go, you start at the teal, start at the tip, not the, blah, 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 the heel, start at the heel, go to the tip, start at the heel on the edge of the stone, go to the tip. And then depending on what you want to do, do you want a convex edge? If you want a convex edge, follow it back right? because you'll naturally just kind of pull back as you go because you want to have a leading edge. So you actually naturally pull back a little bit. So you develop a line, you wipe it out. You develop a line, you wipe it out. You develop a line, you wipe it out. If you just want a straight edge, don't do that. Just go forward. Just go forward. Come back, reset, find your flat, go forward. Come back, reset, find your flat, go forward. Now, I saw Mikhail do the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's a buddy of ours. The muscles from Brussels, as I call it. Muscles from Brussels. Um, you know, he was doing that in the back and forth stroke on the stone. And I, so I said, hey, that's pretty cool. Let me, I'll try that. And I tried it on my Spyderco. It's a little double-sided ceramic stone. And I noticed... That and conventionally, as Jim was saying, you can go, you know, just like you're trying to slice a piece of the stone off. Mm -hmm. I can get a knife pretty goddamn sharp doing that. However, when I do that backstroke, I can actually raise the same caliber burr that I can on the grinder. Really? Yes. Wow. And I've I, never had that. That's cool. And I was, oh. I was, I, well, I thought you did. I thought you guys knew all the secrets. And so I was just like, oh my God, I can get it to curl up. And I know my trouble spots, so I'll work them sure. until I get that burr to curl all the way over. And then I work it down with the other side. Huh. I, it was, no, it I've never done that before. That's oh, really? awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. I'll, I'll go forward and backward and I'll, just, <coughs> I'll, and I'll just feel for the burr, but I'll never actually like see it. Yeah. You'll get you know, like a wire. You'll get a wire edge huh. and then you knock it down and strop it off. That's, that's yeah. awesome. But yeah. Um, but yeah, coming back to that, stropping is always the last thing that you do if you're reprofiling when you got a stone. Um, go from, go from heel to tip or tip to heel, however you like to do it, but always be cutting forward into the stone until that chip is totally gone. And then check your geometry. Make sure, make sure you like it. If you don't, you see a thicker area bring it down see a thinner area stay away from it keep it even keep, keep it, it even keep, keep it, it even. even that's a huge thing is keeping it even and really paying attention the sharpie trick works awesome you take a sharpie and you color up the edge like a quarter of an inch and 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 you just work it on the stone and see exactly where you're hitting according to the angle that you have it, it's a great trick it works awesome do the same thing for your stropping once you raise a burr do the sharpie trick again give yourself like an eighth inch right along the edge and make sure that you're hitting just the total edge according to the instructions we gave you earlier go to you can go to heel to tip tip to heel strop backwards and work that burr off and the second you do if your geometry is right you will have a sharp edge super sharp you will have a sharp edge and he I mean, knows what he's talking about guys I, jimmy's got some of the sharpest friggin knives <laughs> Him and, uh, who, who else todd todd walensky todd true, walensky yeah, yeah true saber yeah, knives he knows what he's, he's, a, doing too. He, he's a friend of ours that's a guy he's a scientist i may have even mentioned him in the last uh show or at least maybe one of my live feeds mm -hmm. or something like that but yeah todd over at true saber that dude can lay down an edge too and so yeah, he, i can't bad. compete between jim and todd and mcgill <laughs> i can't i'm like hey i can make a sharp knife off the grinder but these guys can take a butter knife and just turn it into a surgical scalpel really impressive thank you man i appreciate that oh, yeah, so so anyway 
Next. Yeah. Next. <laughs> Let's move on next. to next. Next. So there you go. And that is a segment that we want um, to continue. So, again, I'm, I'm going to ask for your guys' help in this because we, we do appreciate your engagement. Uh, we do want to offer technical tips uh, from time to time. And that can be everything from the knife enthusiast that uses his knives at home and in the field or in the workplace uh, to knife makers. Um, we're not going to give you all the secrets of the trade, but, uh, <laughs> we will teach you everything you will know. Yeah, exactly. You will know everything <laughs> that, that we know. know. <laughs> um, so no, feel free to hit us up. If you guys have questions on that, like I said, whether you're a hobbyist, whether you're a maker, whether you're just a knife user, feel free to ask us anything. And if we don't know the answer outright, then we'll, uh, do the due diligence to find out the answer. We have a lot of friends that are experts in the field. And we can, I'm pretty sure that anything you guys can come up with within our circle of friends, we can come up with a, at least a made-up answer. So <laughs> so rest assured, we'll be talking about it. <laughs> That's it. So, um, so yeah, please, please hit us up. We do want to continue the technical tip segment in the podcast. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy it. Now, speaking of which, what are we getting to, Jim? Are we to the Q&A section? We are yet? to the Q&A section, sir. Awesome. We are to the Q and A section, sir, and I'm not prepared at all for it because I got really involved in the in the in the talking about dropping. <laughs> and uh, I'd be willing to bet that if you ask real nice, that uh, I can hold the camera and Jim can do some demoing on this, just not right away because editing the video, we're both geeks about it. We want to put our best foot forward. So if you guys would like to see a video, hit us up. Uh, we get enough people asking for it, then we'll pull the trigger. We'll make it happen. Absolutely, we can totally do that. We'll, we'll we will have a YouTube count eventually anyway, so why not start it sooner than sooner than sooner than later? So <clears throat> we have the first question. I'm going to direct it to you, Matt, because I'm not quite sure how to answer it, and I know that you will. If you have to pick one, which knife do you think is aesthetically as perfect as can be? That's from Jordan Wichard Wagner on our Q and A post. I wish I could just be like, oh, that's easy. It's a loveless dropped hunter. <laughs> but next yeah but yeah. you know what it the most aesthetically pleasing knife you know it, it's the loveless dropped hunter I mean, what, what you <laughs> it really is if i really had to pick one um i i would probably say the the loveless dixon fighter and i am biased Ooh. i i really look up to the work of bob loveless and i appreciate what he did for knife makers the world over. And I would say the, the most aesthetically pleasing, the most beautiful knife to me, the one that I can stare at, it, it isn't the big bear. Um, it, it certainly isn't a five pound purple anodized flipper. Uh, <laughs> it isn't, you know, I, trust me guys. I, and Hey, to, to everybody out there that, that's making some crazy stuff right now, congratulations to all of you, um, and congratulations to your fans and your fan base. I think the stuff you do is artistic. But I also think that we are in the platform shoes with goldfish in them era of knives right now. I think there is, a, and I'm not going to pull oh any punches God. at this. <laughs> I think we are, that is fantastic. we are in the realm of gaudy and preposterous. And oh. so when people throw out what is the most aesthetically pleasing knife, then it it, all it does is it reminds me of two things. It reminds me of a knife that I revere as a beautiful um, working tool, a beautiful piece. I think it's artfully done. Nobody can deny the designing eye of Robert Loveless, um, the late great. It pains me to say that, but the late great Bob Loveless, uh, he had it. He had all the lines, and I think they came together without being over the top in the Dixon fighter. And oh, I that, agree. I mean, did you pull oh, up a picture? No, 
I mean, that's a perfect knife. It, it, I mean, it's, it's just it's, really cool. it's a phenomenal knife, and I and and they vary from knife to knife because they were all handmade. And I, in my opinion, that is the most aesthetically pleasing knife that I can think of. That I, and the Fairbairn Sykes Model Two. <laughs> <laughs> quick runner-up, yeah. real quick. Jim, so, what's your what's your what's your opinion so, on the most aesthetically pleasing knife, man. barring anything you make? Okay, barring anything I make. Wait a minute. So I was going to say the Randall Model 3, but I don't make Randall Model 3s. There you go, yeah. <laughs> so um, for some reason, man, the lines and just that that curving, oh. the curving kind of beautiful, beautiful style. That sets um, on a stick. Was, was absolutely perfect for me. And I love, I love the Randall style handles and the pommel with the nut on the end of it. To me, it aesthetically speaks volumes to me. Um, my, my first introduction I ever actually had to the blade shape wasn't actually Randall. I was like... 12 or 13 and my dad came home we had just moved to the upper peninsula of michigan and dad just started working for marbles so he just did a bunch of research on this and he was reading all the marbles books and everything and he and he goes well i've already got the woodcraft and the plainsman and and uh we've got plans for the ideal and the canoe coming through but i need something else because i see a hole coming up so we need to do something so what did dad do he put a randall model three knife on a marbles handle that's cool. He called it. I I can't remember exactly what he called it. I want to say it was like the, the uh the no it was the Buffalo Skinner. Oh right, the right, right, Buffalo right, Skinner. Right. It's a Randall Model Three blade on there. And man, for for some reason, I totally fell in love with the style. I loved the lines. I loved how sharp it looked. I loved saber grinds and big and big false grinds. I, I think I think that's beautiful, beautiful stuff. And it didn't dawn on me later that that was actually a Randall Model Three blade, and and which didn't dawn on me until I saw the Blackjack Model Threes, right, and right. and I'm like, okay, well, looking backwards in history, but those lines to me are are perfect, and I even think, despite all the differences, you know, between all of the different makers making a Randall Model Three, you could absolutely capture my heart if it's got those same lines on it. Totally, you know, hands, you know, bar none, hands down. For Yo, me. it's like a meandering creek, man. It's just absolutely. A I'm actually in the middle of a. Uh, I got, I got jelly of your dad's three five. So I was oh, yeah. like, well, then I'm gonna make a three five. <laughs> he, he even did the quivering lip yeah. kind of a chin up kind of a thing. I want a Randall three five. I'm gonna make one. Yeah, this somebody, one's mine. Somebody had given him a a Randall during the last grind, and and uh, I very very quickly stole it out of his drawer and took it in the shop and took the calipers <laughs> to it. And I was like, I just want it for me. I just want one. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, let's face it. I'm on a knife maker salary. I'm supporting a family. I'm not going to go drop a whole bunch of money. Well, on right. A to, to buy another one. Yeah. Plus I want to use it. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to use the piss out of it. That's but a yeah, good idea. It I might, might want to make one too. That's something that actually we've never made is it was a three, five. We made a three, seven, mm. but it's not really a model three. Um, for blackjack, we actually made it, as a, as a 125 handle, you're familiar with the 125 handle? Uh, yes, yes. Okay, so it's got the it's got the for for those that um don't know, it's actually got like a little bit of a an old style vintage stack with like aluminum spacers in the front and back, and the pommel on the back end actually has a sunken nut like marbles, like a like a marbles or a Wade and Butcher would. Um, so Dad put a Randall Model Three blade on a larger handle of those, and it looks awesome. It's really good. It's called the Blackjack 127. We did it with, uh, you know, red red linen spacers, and they look they look absolutely gorgeous. So, um, so, anywho, 
Bo Randall was a hell Bo of a Randall designer. I mean, he was, was was the first guy to come out with that design. Yes, he, and he, it was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, and mm-hmm. it uh, you know obviously he was heavily influenced by Bill Skagel. We alluded to that, uh, and Skagel was influenced by Webster Marble, mm-hmm. and on the line it goes. So you're going to see a lot of that amongst a lot of knife makers, and it, it just is what it is. And really, it's an homage to the things that have passed, and it's a recognition for what they you know what they did. From nothing. I mean, really, right. a lot of these guys raised oh, this yeah. shit from clay. You know what I mean? No, it was they, really they, impressive. They, they basically were born on a different planet because you can't understand the, the the thought process behind the inspiration for these beautiful fucking blades that you've never seen before. That and functional. The earth. And, and functional. And they were totally so, functional. They and, were awesome. And I tell you what, that's the quickest way, you know, for all. And look, it doesn't matter. People can sell anything. So it's, I, I'm not going to get into this game. But the bottom line is, if it is functional and aesthetically pleasing, but functional first. That is what makes an amazing knife. Is it has to be. <laughs> Jim just wrote me a love letter. Uh, uh, but it has to be, it has to be functionally. I'm not going to put that up on the podcast no, okay. um, on the site, but uh, it has to be functional first. And then it can be aesthetically pleasing. And you will find as a knife maker, I'm speaking specifically to you guys in the garage, listening to this while you're grinding on a grinder that you either cobble together or you you can't wait until you can get a real knife maker's grinder. Maybe you're set up and you're using files and jigs and shit to make your knives. Those guys, those guys who are really in the trenches right now, hacking it out, they, their knuckles are bloody. You guys are breathing in all the dust. You're trying to figure out, oh, you see pictures. You go, how'd that guy do that? You know what I mean? Those are the... I'm talking to you uh make <laughs> there was a guy right now yeah, who just stopped right, exactly, yeah. the radio. Uh, <laughs> he's like putting a band-aid on his knuckle uh, that's who i'm talking to right now is that you are going to come out with i guarantee you're you're one of two camps you're going to make something ridiculous because it looks cool or it's part of this week's shit du, du jour <laughs> goldfish, or goldfish you're like hey is. this feels good in my hand this cuts i made a good steel selection this is going to work really well and it looks like a total turd you guys understand where the two have to meet and it is very difficult to make a functioning knife beautiful and it's also difficult to make a trendy knife function so put in the work you'll figure it out i'm still trying to figure it out oh me too yeah i mean it's totally yeah yeah, every model that we come out with there's parts of it that i hate and there's parts of it that i love but that is what makes the greats the greats is that they came out with like the randall model 3 i think is a perfect example you know bull randall and obviously he developed it but it has some really hardcore scale influence with that trailing point and everything Mm -hmm. that comes down yeah totally uh you know but he took a very functioning a functional knife both as a fighting knife and as a hunting knife. If you're into really big, we're talking about the three seven. Let's say, sure, I mean, that's yeah. a huge hunting it's knife, a large knife. But I mean, that makes one hell of a fighting knife, one very capable fighting knife. And, and I mean, uh, in reality, not like in the glass case fighting knife, but as a a true implement of combat. That is the Randall Model Three, is is that in a nutshell. So for you guys in the trenches hacking it out, just remember that there's still a little code to crack out there, and you'll figure it out. And just keep working on it. Adjust your lines. Take a look at one area and try to clean it up a little. Bit, and you guys will nail it on the head and i wish you guys nothing but the best well, trust me we've all been there <clears throat> so so that's our q a segment that's one q and one a and one a there you go <laughs> is what that was that worked out great so um that wraps up that wraps up the show that's episode that, two that's episode in the two. can yeah so uh, uh appreciate you guys listening uh this has been behind the blade podcast yes sir signing off for jim stay sharp everybody signing off for matt 
sharp everybody stay sharp